good to see faces that I don't recognise that well, but also faces I know very well. And always good to have a mix for those that don't know me that well. My name's Joel, I'm the ministry trainee here. I've been here since beginning of Feb, finished here at the end of July, time's flown. Um, while we were worshipping, I really felt God was saying, welcome. It's one thing for us to, when we are greeted by the door, to say, welcome. But God welcomes you this morning. And welcomes you in whatever state you're in. If it's in chaos, if it's in confusion, if it's in happiness, if it's in despair, he welcomes you. And so you may be wondering, why are we going to study what we're going to study this morning? Why this topic? And it was back at around the end of March, April time, that we were doing Hope Explored, the first one, at Robin Joe's barn. And we read this account. And I can go back to the moment when Rob read the story. I could literally go back now. Because I was struck and actually felt quite emotional over the question and the statement shared by the people as they left the house of Jairus. This is found in the second half of 35. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? And the title of today's talk is Why Bother the Teacher Anymore? And so some context. Jesus has just healed a demon-possessed man. And in a completely different region. And as it says at the end of verse 20 of Mark 5, all the people were amazed. Jesus was on the move. His reputation is expanding. The kingdom of heaven is advancing. And then we come to verse 21, and Jesus has now arrived into another region. And another large crowd gathers around him. Always struck at how easily Jesus has a crowd gather around him. He doesn't shout, come over here! They're drawn to him. People are drawn to Jesus. And as I've said, Jesus is quickly becoming both known and renowned. And in verse 22, we read that in and amidst the large crowd arrives Jairus, one of the synagogue leaders. And I had to research this as well. You might not know either, but I didn't fully know what a synagogue leader was. But a synagogue leader, in simple terms, could be considered to be like that of a modern-day pastor. He would be in charge of the spiritual and business affairs of the synagogue. He probably had great wealth and subsequent access to the best medical professionals available. He would have been seen as influential, important in society. People would have wanted to hear what he had to say. People would have been watching what he was doing, what he was up to, who he was mixing with, who he was choosing not to mix with. And yet he thought of Jesus. He falls at his feet. He forgot his pride. He forgot his dignity. He forgot his prejudices. Let's not forget Jesus was an outsider. Society saw him as dangerous. One to whom the synagogue's doors were firmly shut. He's not welcome here. 
And so don't forget, there was a large crowd in Jairus falling to the feet of Jesus. You can imagine the chatter going on. The whispers being ushered. I wonder what will be said of Jairus next Sabbath. That's not the Jairus I know. But Jairus is desperate. In the first half of 23, verse 23, we read that he pleads with Jesus. It's not just a, if you could, could you come and heal my daughter, please? It's a pleading, it's a begging, it's a, I need you more than anything. Jairus has great confidence that Jesus can, has the power to heal his daughter. But when we read the second half of 23, we read, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. He believed his daughter, you could say, would only be healed if Jesus went with him. If Jesus was only physically present in that moment. And in the first half of verse 24, Jesus is compassionate. He does. He is willing to go with Jairus. He is interruptible. The chances are Jesus probably had a big plan to share and speak to this crowd, as he so did, did so well and did so many times in the Gospels. But no, he chooses to go and says, I'm going to be, go and be with Jairus. I'm going to go and show him more of God's kingdom. But then we're not focusing on this this morning, but there's the story of the woman who was bleeding for 12 years. And Jesus is interrupted by this woman. He's interrupted again. He's not just interrupted the first time, but a second time. And she had previously spent all of her money on doctors and had been under much care. But instead of getting better, as it says, she got worse. She is miraculously healed by Jesus and simply by touching his cloak. I don't think any of us can imagine watching that happen. Someone who has been bleeding everywhere for 12 years to suddenly touch someone and like that, completely healed. The blood stops bleeding. One touch from her healer and the bleeding stops. But whilst this is happening, it doesn't take a lot to imagine the fear, the worry, the heartache that Jairus would be feeling. Every moment going on, a moment closer to his daughter dying the one who had all the money to pay for the medical treatment needed a healer. And in, we read of Jairus being present when he hears the words of Jesus, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Jairus is probably thinking, what about me? What about us? What about my daughter? It is while Jesus is speaking and sharing that some people come from the house of Jairus and share the news that he'll have been dreading. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? And it may be this morning that we have dreams that are dead. We may have family members that are spiritually dead. And maybe, just maybe, we have fallen into the attitude of the people talking to Jairus. Why bother the teacher anymore? 
It might be a question that's swirling around in our heads. Why bother our teacher anymore? There's a Scottish minister. He's pretty, I'm pretty sure he's dead, particularly with the name that he's got. But his name is Horatius Bonar. And he said, once said, all unbelief is the belief of a lie. All unbelief is the belief of a lie. We can so easily fall into believing lies about God. That he doesn't care. That he's absent. That he's unresponsive. That he doesn't listen. And as some of you will know here, I'm pretty sure the majority, September is a big question mark for me. And last weekend I went to Faldi Brennan, which is a retreat centre in Wales. The easiest way of describing it is it, it is four hours from Cheltenham, literally the middle of nowhere. Got to climb a mountain, it was really fun. And it's a beautiful place with silence that, I don't know about you, but describing silence is a really hard one. It is completely silent. I remember arriving thinking, oh, this is a bit too quiet. <laughs> There's not even one conversation going on. And I don't know whether it was a mistake or not, but I went with a group of introverts. So they just wanted to be silent anyway. <laughs> and so very quickly it was, so how are you? Yeah, good. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll move on. That's fine. And I'll be honest, I arrived actually feeling very fearful of the future. I had had the worst week of anxiety that I can remember. The worst week of sleep that I can remember. And I don't know about you, but when you don't have enough sleep, it affects everything. I was becoming very grumpy, not just at other people, but at myself, thinking, come on now, Joel, you can get a job, you can do this, you can do that. Just beating myself up, really, how easily we can, all can do that. And part of the land that they've got at this retreat centre is a beautiful hill, and on this hill is a cross. And it's a beautiful statement cross. It's just... I could see it from, so there's a day room. When you first arrive, you're welcomed into the day room. And you can just see in the far distance this cross. And there's a really cool story about it, about the founder of the retreat centre praying to God, where do you want me to put the cross? And he very clearly felt God was saying, this place. And there have been a lot of people that have met with Jesus at that cross, physically, but also emotionally and spiritually too. And I decided... Woke up Sunday morning, having had 12 hours sleep. Thought I would go to the cross. I decided I'd literally sit at the foot of the cross. Not because it was anything special. It was just a piece of wood. But it felt symbolic of the season that I'm in. That I need to lay everything down and start again. And I had my journal with me. It's nothing pretty. But it quickly became apparent that God was stirring something in my heart. So I started to write some things down. And I ummed and about sharing it this morning. And this isn't all of it. I figured some of it, no, I won't share that. But the basic and most important stuff I really wanted to share. And it's what I really felt God was sharing as I sat on that cross, listening to him. And there are just a few lines, the first being, trust that I know what is best for you. Trust me 
in the moments that are fun. (coughs) Trust me in the moments that are fearful. Trust the one who formed you in your mother's womb. Trust the one who has seen your hurting and knows the very depths of it. Trust the one who has gone before you. Trust the one who has come through before. He will come through again. And I think for me personally, I'm on a journey in the season of believing the truth that God can be trusted. And Corrie ten Boom once said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. God can be trusted with my future. And I was really struck by the prayer that Joe prayed, that repentance prayer, because there are services that go on at this retreat centre, and they're very led by God in the moment. Every service is different. But I really felt I had to repent of the times where I believed that God can't be trusted. And it was out of that place that I felt God was saying, but I can be trusted. In a weird sort of way, it took that brokenness, it took that lowness of myself to see that God was greater. Maybe some of us need to genuinely turn back from our thought processes that are damaging. Our thinking that we know hurts him, but we choose to go with it anyway. And maybe then we'll hear truths that we never thought we'd hear. Of course, we can all hear things like, yeah, I can trust God. God is trustworthy. We've all heard stuff like that. But when it really matters, do we believe it? And God can be trusted with your situations and circumstances too. And so in verse 36, we hear that Jesus overhears what these people say to Jairus. And Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. And I love this verse because remember there's a large crowd and yet Jesus tells him. Jesus tells Jairus directly. Not to be afraid, but to believe. Jesus cares. That's probably the biggest understatement in history. Jesus cares so much more than we realise. And this story is one of faith and fear. And faith and fear struggle to come together. They're like magnets when you've got them the wrong way around. They struggle to come together. Faith and trust come together, but faith and fear, there'll always be that little tension. But we read in 1 John 4, verse 18, that perfect love drives out, it casts out fear. And Jesus, the very definition of perfect love, is coming to Jairus now. You can see the magnet turning and the drawing closer, the connection that they have. Just believe, just trust, just hold on. Maybe that's a word for you this morning, just hold on. 
keep holding on. Tom Wright, though, makes a very valuable point for Jesus to say, don't be afraid, just believe. It's kind of like telling someone to paddle the Pacific in a canoe. Feels almost impossible. And in the situation Jairus was in, it was impossible. And yet Jairus has a spark of faith. There's something about this Jesus that makes him think, no, I can trust this Jesus. And so in verse 37, we read that Jesus does not let the crowd follow him. Jesus is able to draw a crowd, but he's also got the authority to say, shoo. And yet in verse 38, he's met with another crowd. This time they're crying and wailing, as was the cultural norm at the time of writing. People were even paid sometimes to mourn in houses. It would have been so noisy in that house, so loud in that house. In fact, in another gospel sharing this account, it says there's a flute player. I just say, shut up. (laughs) That's what I'd want to do. And we read in verse 39 that Jesus actually asks that question. Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. Notice how quickly it goes from, there goes mourning to suddenly ridiculing. We read at the first part of verse 40, but they laughed at him. People laughed at Jesus. They thought, he's no idea. And yet Jesus takes control of the situation and puts all of those who are laughing out. And Jesus never fails to take control of situation. Whatever your situation is, he's wanting to take it and have control over it. And so now it's just Jesus, Jairus, Jairus' wife, and the disciples previously mentioned, Peter, James, and John. And they now go to see their lifeless child. I can't imagine what the disciples are feeling at this point. She really is dead. She really is lifeless. There's nothing to show that she's alive. And yet Jesus takes her by the hand. And in Aramaic he says, Talitha kum. Which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. In Romans 4, verse 17, Paul writes of God being the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. The God who gives life to the dead. Jesus takes this little girl by the hand and speaks life. The kingdom of heaven is again advancing. God is wanting to break into and work in and through all things. To that family member who, as I said, is spiritually dead. To that friend who is full of fear. To ourselves when anxiety and uncertainty surrounds. We can pray that Jesus too will take us by the hand and say, arise. Maybe Jesus is wanting to do that this morning. 
take you by the hand again and say, Arise. And in the, thir- the second part of verse 42, we read that at this they were completely astonished. The atmosphere has gone from one of mourning, despair, to then laughing. Laughing at the situation, laughing at this person that says they can heal. To then astonishment. That, (gasps) and this is where the name Jairus is fascinating. It comes from the Hebrew origin meaning God enlightens. In this story, God enlightens, illuminates, opens Jairus' eyes to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of faith over fear. Maybe the Lord Jesus is opening your eyes to his kingdom afresh this morning. And so I'd love it if we could make some time for that. That if you want eyes to see more of God's kingdom. We're going to pray and then we'll have a time where if you do want that, you can come forward and be prayed for. But God's kingdom is moving. As it says in the line and the witch in the wardrobe, Aslan is on the move. God is on the move. And he's wanting to do a new thing. And he wants us to be part of that new thing. And so why don't we pray and then we'll have a time of praying for one another.